Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Tonight we're going to um, we're going to jump into a new book in the Bible. All right. Thank you for your enthusiasm. So tonight we're going to jump into a new book of the Bible. Yeah. Hey, listen. As much as you you have an expectation, as much as you expect, that's what you'll get. Because listen, your God is a well that doesn't run dry. He just keeps on giving, keeps on giving. What will you expect from him? Well, Lord, I don't expect much. Well, then you won't get much. But what if you expected a lot? Huh? Lord, give me everything that I can possibly get from you. Fill up my heart. Fill up my life. Amen. Give me all that you can, all that you will, because, he, you know, as he said, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly. That's what he's saying. I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly. In other words, there's more. There's more. So you don't just settle with little this and little of that. Amen. He's a God of abundance. Amen. He wants to give you all of him. He already did give us all of him. He gave us everything he had when he gave us Jesus. He didn't just give us his best. He gave us everything when he gave us his son. And in him is all the life that we could ever hope for or dream of or need. But I want to give you a little history is that all right if we learn about this book for a moment, the time period, the, the place? I'd like us to bring up that map if we could. Now, this area, uh, we're going to be over here in, well, I wish I had my laser pointer, Colossae, right under Galatia. You see that right there, Colossae? Um, over here in Asia, uh, minor area. And this area is known today as, anybody know? You put it on a sandwich. You eat it at Thanksgiving. Okay, good. Turkey. <laughs> Colossae is right there, but at this time, during, during the, um, the time of Paul's writing, this is somewhere along 61 AD or so that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae, okay? Um, and he stated his purpose for writing this letter uh, very clearly in, in Colossians chapter 2, and we'll, we'll get to that later, but he wanted to make sure, really, that they had a full revelation of Christ and what he had accomplished for them, but at the same time, he's warning them against false teaching. You know, we have to continue to warn against false teaching because there's a lot of it out there. There's a lot of it out there. And so we have to keep the truth before us. We have to keep declaring what the, what the Word of God says. Um, bring up that next map. That way we can get a little uh, closer look at this area here. I'm going to talk about this area in just a moment, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and, and Colossae. And... Uh, if you say those words over and over again, you'll just start speaking in tongues. So you might, if, you're, if you're having a hard time, if you want to speak in tongues, you have a hard time, just try that right there and see what happens. <laughs> Paul believed that the Colossians, he believed that their, their best defense um, against false teaching was for them to be fully aware of all that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, so in the remainder of Colossians uh, 2 and into chapter 3, he expounds on the completeness that we have in Christ. And so he exhorted them to, to a holy lifestyle and concluded this book, it's only four chapters, with instructions to parents, uh, children, uh, employees, employers, and as he did in the letter to Ephesians. As a matter of fact, when you look at Ephesians and Colossians, you see a really mirror books. There are so many things in there that are very similar uh, to one another. Some of them are almost word for word, really extraordinary, but Colossae was just 14 miles from, from Laodicea there, uh, one of the seven churches of Asia, 
to whom John wrote the book of Revelation. However, actually Colossae was not one of the seven churches, I should say, that he wrote of by the time Revelation was written. Like I said, this was written somewhere around 61. The book of Revelation was written somewhere around 96 AD, all right? So it's kind of interesting, why in the world does John, of all the churches he mentions here, all in this area, he doesn't mention Colossae because something catastrophic happened right around 61, 62 AD. There was a massive earthquake, all right? And it, and it tore up Laodicea and Colossae. Laodicea was able to recover and rebuild. Colossae was completely destroyed in that earthquake. And um, so then the people just kind of moved away. The survivors moved up to Hierapolis and Laodicea, and then they just became massive cities over time. Um, it was known to be a prosperous city, Colossae was, around 5th century BC, um, but at the start of the Christian era, the age of the church, it was beginning to be eclipsed because it, it had fallen into ruins to these other cities. Um, Paul mentions, uh, or Laodicea is mentioned four times in this letter that we're, that we're in tonight, and we're not going to read all four chapters, so you can breathe easy, and and then twice in the book of Revelation, and uh, that's the, the, the people who are receiving this letter from Paul, there's no mention when you read the book of Acts, which is the, the history of Paul's journeys, you know, uh, he had three missionary journeys, but it never mentions that he went to Colossae. We know he was in Ephesus and, and these other places, but um, as a matter of fact, in, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul mentioned to the people of Colossae that they had not seen his face. He'd never met him. So it can be assumed that they were some of those to whom the gospel had been taken while Paul preached in Ephesus for three years. And so people were taking that message and then traveling down to Colossae. And um, we believe that we know who that was specifically. Acts chapter 19 says the gospel spread from Ephesus into all of Asia there. So just some, some history on it. Ephesus was the capital city. And uh, the Colossians obviously would have done business there and traveled there as the Ephesians would have also traveled to Colossae as well. But it appears that a man by the name of Epaphras, let's say that name tonight, Epaphras, make a name, make a, make a friend of that one, who was from Colossae uh, because Colossians chapter 4 teaches us he's one of your own. Um, he was a convert of Paul's preaching apparently up in Ephesus and then he went and returned home to Colossae and he brought this letter with him. Okay. Now, ultimately, it looks like he probably started the church there, but Mr. Philemon became the pastor of the Colossian church. And so the letter of Philemon and Colossians are right there. Paul wrote them right at the same time, all right? One to the church and one specifically to the pastor of the church. And uh, Paul is the author of this book, as he states here in the very beginning, and there are a lot of early church leaders who all attested to him being the author. It's one of the four prison epistles that Paul wrote. Paul wrote from prison, Ephesians. You may know. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. The date and place of this writing, as I've told you before, is from his imprisonment in Rome and uh, around AD 61. They say it could have been as late as 64, somewhere around there. But there was a lost letter along the way. Let's bring up, uh, Brooke, I didn't tell you this one, um, Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. I'm sorry, not 4, verse 12, verse 16. That's where you see where Epaphras was one of them. All right, verse 16 says, Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. 
Well, we don't know about that epistle. We don't know what happened to the epistle from Laodicea. The assumption is, by historians, is that it got destroyed somehow in that earthquake. And uh, so that they had actually swapped letters because the Colossian letter did end up being found in Laodicea, but the Laodicean letter did not, was never found in, Coloss- in Colossae. So it's so one of the lost letters of Paul. It's kind of interesting. Um, but like I said, it was utterly destroyed, and the letter to the Laodiceans was destroyed. So now let's open up Colossians chapter 1 and start reading in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, <clears throat> to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I love the way Paul opens his letters. He always opens them and closes them with grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace, the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Now, he had not been there. Paul had never seen these people face to face. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have cell phones. How is he hearing about this? How's Paul getting the news about this? The news of them is spreading. He was hearing reports that they believed the gospel and their lives were affected by the gospel. And the proof of that was shown by their love for one another. And Paul says, listen, your faith is is being heard about. You're sharing your story. You're sharing your conversion experience with Christ, and you're also showing love for one another. This is proof that the gospel has affected your life. Um, John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. Let's go to Galatians 5.13, Brooke, bring that up. Paul says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, what was motivating this, though? I wonder what, what was motivating the people to share their faith and to love others. What was it? What was in the message that they heard that they would respond in this way? What was it? Look at verse 5. Because of Colossians, I'm sorry, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. See, the word of the truth of the gospel, the gospel is a message of hope. The gospel is a message, a message of assurances. I wish preachers would preach it like that. I wish they would not be ashamed of the gospel and just let the good news be preached. But man, we are so good. We're so good at adding our rules and regulations and reasonings to this. What is the gospel? Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. There's the gospel. That's it. Well, what do I do about it? Believe it. Believe that he died for your sins. That's how you come into a right relationship with God. You can't earn it. You can't do enough good stuff. You can't stop doing enough bad stuff. That, that, that doesn't mean anything to God. Believe on His Son. 
That's, that's the whole issue. That's the whole thing. See, that's what separates, again, I'm going to have to continue to take us back to, that's what separates Christianity from all other religions of the world. You line them up. It's not, it's not just one of many others. It's completely opposite of every other religion in the world because all other religions have this in common. It's you doing something in this life to have a better afterlife. But the Bible doesn't allow that. The, the, the way of, of, of Christ and his gospel doesn't allow that. That is, he did everything that was necessary for you to have a right relationship with God, and you come into this by faith. My family, I would rather take that religion over any other religion. If I, you mean, I, it doesn't, I don't have to depend on myself? No, as a matter of fact, you can't depend on yourself. That's the way this works. Whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. All right. It was this gospel. They heard, what did he say? Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. This is what motivated them to want to go share this with others. Listen, we found something. We found something to hold on to. We found something to believe in that's greater than the life that we're living here. Hope is laid up for us in heaven. There is eternal life, a gift from God that he chose to give to us because he loved us. Be, just because he loved us, because he wanted to have us with him in glory, in heaven, forever and ever. Yeah. This is what motivated them. This was the word of the truth of, well, somebody's got to tell the truth. You can't just be saying all this good news, good news, good news. Why? Why? Why can't we preach good news and only good news? What's wrong with that? You've got to preach the whole counsel of God. You got to preach the whole truth. Well, this says you heard the truth of the gospel called hope laid up in heaven. That is the whole of the gospel. Well, that's better preaching than your amen in, but it's all right. Man, I thought that this, this ought to excite you. Huh? I had this problem in my class today. I did. Sitting there teaching class, and it was like, I said, why does it feel like Monday in here, guys? What are you doing? Made them stand up. So let's stand up. You love me right now, don't you? I know. You just got comfortable. Come on. Let's stand up. Can we just lift our hands to heaven for just a moment? Can we open up our mouth, and let's remember something? The life that we have is a gift from God. Can we just offer up a thank you right now? Thank you, Lord, for this life that I have. Thank you, Lord, that you called me out of darkness and brought me into your marvelous light. Thank you that I'm alive right now because you gave me this life. This life is not my own. You have given it to me. Thank you for these hands that I can raise to you. Thank you for this voice that I can declare your name with. Thank you, Lord, for the breath in my lungs. Thank you, Lord, that I'm standing here. Thank God right now I'm not in a hospital somewhere. Thank you for that. Thank you that I'm not in the graveyard. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, I'm not in jail. Amen. I'm here right now. Thank you that I'm right now in the greatest nation on planet Earth with the freedom to worship you, to bless your name to bless you and to thank you and to be here amongst my family tonight, my brothers and sisters. Hmm. Is that helping you a little bit? Huh? Come on, turn to somebody and tell them how good they look tonight. All right, just, even if you got to make it up, just make it up. Just say something nice. Say something nice to someone. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, okay. Praise God. I don't know about you, but I feel better, so I thank you for that. 
Good news was their motivation, see? Good news was their motivation. Good news is what pushed them out there. Good news is what gave them the boldness and the courage to take this message somewhere else. Good news is what gave them the ability to love others despite weaknesses, despite failures, despite faults, because the Scripture says that love covers a multitude of sins. That's why we got to continually walk in the love of God, to receive the love of God and to give the love of God, to not get caught up on each other's weaknesses and pointing our fingers at each other. Man, shine that. We need to just love one another. All right, because it's love that obliterates those kinds of things. It's the love of God that casts out all fear. Amen. Aren't you grateful to God that he got over your faults? Aren't you grateful to God he's not holding your sins and your failures against you tonight? No, all of those things were taken away by the death of his son. And tonight you are free. You are free. You are called justified in his sight. This is how he sees you, justified, right. God believes in his son's sacrifice. He believes in what Jesus did, fully. He's not angry. If he got angry, he wouldn't be just. If he got angry, he would be a liar. I'm telling you, this is what the Bible teaches. This isn't what preachers teach. This is what the Bible teaches us. I'm not coming down on all preachers. But they're my contemporaries, and I get a little upset that these guys can't get the message right. They keep beating people up. They keep using the Word of God to beat people up rather than to build people up. Amen. Amen. See, no other, no other religion out there, which are, which are man-made, can offer this kind of assurance. They can only offer wishful thinking. And that is, if you try your best... You might. <laughs> That's as sure as I can get. If I do good, hopefully the good outweighs the bad. Where's the assurance in that? Thank God for Jesus. Just got to say, thank God for Jesus. Verse 6, which has come to you. It has come to you. The gospel has come to you. Aren't you grateful tonight that it, that it found your ears? That you heard that good news and you believed on the Lord. And it made all the difference in your life. That's why we have to continue to be motivated by this good news, to bring this good news. As I've said before, the world is jaded by good news out there. Because they've been told some, something and then found out that that something was not what they said it was. Right? Been duped into believing this guarantee is not necessarily a guarantee. And my wife and I, we learned that real quick when we bought a home warranty plan. Like everything that broke was not in the plan. You know, like, wait a second, this says hot water heater. Well, hang on a second, we've got to talk about this hot water heater. Was it the tank or was it the actual heating element? I don't know, it's just not working. I don't know. Well, we don't cover the tank, we only cover this piece. And what, was, what part did we have to cover, Quan? All of it. Just found, just found their way right all the way around it. But we had to pay the most. I mean, we find this stuff all the time that, that the world offers these promises. But a promise with probation, a promise with strings attached, even gifts, right? So we've just been kind of duped to believe that there's no such thing as good news, and if there is, 
it, there's got to be some kind of fine print, or we should be skeptical of it. Right? If it sounds too good to be true, finish the sentence. Yeah, see, you've been duped into believing that there's no... You see, the truth is, if, you, if it sounds too good to be true, there's a good chance that you've really heard the gospel because it sounds too good to be true. But it's still true! Still true doesn't change the fact that it's true. It just sounds too good to be true. Oh, thank God for that. Which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard, watch, and knew the grace of God. This is what, in truth, this is what people need to know. They really need to know what the grace of God is. They need to know the grace of God in truth. People still make grace something you earn. You can't earn grace. It's no longer grace then. That's a wage. If you have to earn it, then you get a payment for that. But grace doesn't work like that. Grace is God's gift to you. Praise God. I mean, think about it. Even old Santa Claus comes with strings attached. Right? He's supposed to be a gift giver, but you better watch out and you better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. And he knows when you've been sleeping. And he knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been good or bad, so you better be good for good. Well, where's the gift in that? Gifts are supposed to be unearned. We make our children, Santa's going to get you. And if you, know, if you don't get what you want, well, that's your fault. Merry Christmas. See, it's, just, it's turned into a man-made religion. We think we've got to earn, earn, earn. It's so hard for us to just understand a gift is a gift, and that's it. Just receive it. Receive it. That's, that's the only way you can get a gift is to receive it. Amen. Is this too simple? Maybe. I don't know, but it's helping me. As among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. Verse 7. As you also learned from who? <laughs> Y'all didn't make a friend of it. Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, uh, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Did you know you can know the will of God? Huh? You can know it. He wants you to know it. He's given you His Word, and His Word is His will. All right, don't buy into that religious life. Well, you just don't ever understand the ways of God. You just can't, you just can't know the ways of God. Yes, you can. God became a man so that you can know Him, so that you can know His will. Amen. Oh, the, the whole mystery's gone now. It used to be mysterious. But now the scripture says, now the mystery has been revealed, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What you have him, you've got the wisdom of God. You have him, you have the spirit of the living God living in you, and he will guide you into all truth. Amen. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. How are you going to walk worthy of the Lord? Well, you don't drink, you don't dance, you don't chew, and you don't dance with the girls that do. That's, that's, that's what my upbringing was, rules, 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 rules. You got to work worthy. You got to walk worthy of the Lord. I was scared to death to take communion when I was a kid. I thought if I'm not worthy while I'm taking this, that just might kill me right here in the church service or something bad's going to happen to me. Always making you fear, afraid, afraid, afraid of all these wonderful things that God has for us. And man, just twist them into, right, and distort them and manipulate them and pervert them. Whew, communion is a glorious thing. So, how do you walk worthy of the Lord? Hmm? How do we walk worthy of fully pleasing Him? How do you do it? What does that mean? Come on, my family. How long have you been coming to this church? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, For without faith 
it is impossible to please him. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So how are you going to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him by faith? There you go. By faith. Faith is what pleases God. Faith is what causes you to walk worthy of him, to fully trust in him, not in your own works, but in his mercy and grace, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I'm almost through. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Now I want to finish with this here. We're circling the airport. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. The word inheritance literally means eternal life here. Now think about this. Partakers of eternal life, with, of the saints in the light. He has, the Father who has qualified, who qualified you for eternal life? What does that say right there? The Father has qualified us. You didn't qualify yourself. You can't qualify yourself for heaven. He qualified you. He qualified you to be a partaker. He did that. Now, let me tell you, just tell you how awesome that is that you're living here post-resurrection instead of pre-resurrection. All right, we're going to go to one last scripture. Mark chapter 10, look at this. This says, the Father qualified us. Mark chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 17. Now, as he was going, this is talking about Jesus, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and said, good teacher, <coughs> what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, let me ask you a question right now. What shall you do to inherit eternal life here, where we live right now? What shall you do? Believe. Believe on the Lord. That's it, right? What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Verse 18. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now, Jesus is not saying he's not good. He's helping this young man understand who he's talking to. He's talking to God in the flesh. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Watch. Verse 19. You know the commandments. What? He just asked you what he has to do to inherit eternal life, and Jesus, you're giving him rules? You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. That's interesting. Is that what, is this what the Apostle Paul taught us? Did he teach us the commandments? You got to do right, you got to do this, and you got to, don't do that, but you got to do this, and don't do that, and then you can have eternal life. You understand the difference between where you are right now and where they were then. All of this was under the context of the law. And by the way, the law was for the Jew, not for the Gentile. Never for the Gentile, it never was. Good rules for a society to live by, though. But they're not for righteousness' sake. But right here, they were. The only way one could obtain a right standing with God is that he had to keep all the rules. He had to keep all the rules. You know the commandments, do this, do this, do this. The young man said, um, I've kept all of those since I was a little boy. And Jesus said, one thing you lack. Sell what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me, and you'll have riches in heaven. And the scripture says the young man went away sadly because he had great riches. 
And then Jesus says something extraordinary. He said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when he said this, the disciples responded in a very interesting way. Because we've been duped by a lot of religious thinking that Jesus and his guys were dirt poor walking on the earth. That's nothing but bunk. Because of this, it says the disciples were astonished. <laughs> Who then can be saved? Now, wait a second. That's not how poor people are going to respond. That's right. Rich people, they got theirs coming. Freaking rich people. They should all burn in hell. Right? I mean, they, 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 wouldn't, they would not freak out if they're poor and go, well, who can be saved then? They wouldn't even bother them. Come on, am I talking to you tonight? Why are they freaking out? Who then can be saved? And Jesus said, wait, calm down, guys. With men, this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. And, he, and, then, and then he said, listen, guys, the problem with this young ruler is, is not that he had money. His money had him. And I needed to get to the heart of the issue with him, and I saw where his heart was when he wouldn't be willing to give something to the poor. And Jesus is always going to get to the heart of the issue. But thank God Almighty that the rules and regulation kind of living, the performance kind of living, has all been done away with through Jesus Christ. He did the ultimate performance. He fulfilled that law that was contrary to us, that was against us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Not only did he nail the rules and regulations to that cross, but he nailed all of our sins there too. Amen. So the only proper response to this good news is to believe it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This means God gets all the glory. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for this good, good news. Truly good news that has come to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of your precious Son. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus. Lord, the more we know Him, the more we know life. The more we know Him, the more we know what godliness is. The more we understand the nature and character of God. Thank you, Lord, that when Jesus came, He showed us a good, good, good Heavenly Father whose good pleasure, it is His good pleasure to give us the kingdom who loves us, who is on our side, so much so that He became a man and walked among us. He walked among us, talked among us, healed us, delivered us, and then died for us, died for our sins so that we don't have to die from our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, our precious Savior, that you are right now seated at the right hand of the living God as our high priest, as our advocate, one who speaks on our behalf, interceding for us continually. Thank you for that, that you're seated in the, ever, the blood of the everlasting covenant for our, on our behalf, ensuring that all men have hope, all men have access to God by faith in Jesus. Thank you for that. Lord, may we take this good news out of here into our neighborhoods and our jobs and into the marketplace, God, where we go. That, Lord, we will be bearers of good news. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 
And that same gospel that set us free, Lord, may we see it set other people free too. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You've given us this ministry. And Lord, we will be faithful, faithful proclaimers of your gospel. Knowing that we can't save anyone, but your word can. Your gospel does save those who will believe. Thank you, Lord. And how shall they hear? without a preacher. So we will do that. We will do that, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father God, for your blessing on your people and they're going out just like they've been blessed and they're coming in. I declare that no evil shall befall them and no plague shall come near their dwelling. I declare in Jesus' name that no weapon formed against this people will prosper and every tongue that rises against them in judgment they shall condemn. All of their children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be their peace. They will tonight both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make them dwell in safety in the mighty name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.